Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that. Really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Hello there and welcome to Second Captain's Football at the Irish Times. Um, there didn't seem to be a huge amount of sympathy around for Chelsea last night after a fairly abject failure in the Champions League, but the Atletico players at least offered a shoulder to cry on. Quite a number of shoulders in the case of John Terry. I don't know if you noticed this, Ken or Murph. Yeah, oh, I did. Totally did. Unbelievable. John Terry finishes the game, stands there. There's a really good shot of him standing disconsolate. I actually looked to me like a guy who was looking around as though I'm retiring. It's just, it's just my own little theory. Yeah, maybe there could be a shock retirement in the summer, but you're kind of looking around going, this could be my last chance to play in the Champions League final. Yeah. But still, then quite stoic, getting, trying to keep himself together at that stage. Then one by one, the Atletico players surround him. Usually the phenomenon at the end of a game, or often, is grab shirts with the most famous player in the other team. Yeah. Whereas here it is, go and commiserate with the the man most likely to um, need commiserating with on the other team. <laughs> it was the captain, uh, Tiago, I think. Tiago yeah. in particular. Well, but there Tia- were a few, Tiago's uh, a former teammate of John Terry. No, I know, but there were a few. Tiago had to push mm. Atletico players out of the way to get to John Terry. Yeah. But then he, he kind of smacked him on the face and said, John... You know, you're a bloody good player. Chin up. Back. Smacked him a couple of more times on the cheek. Said, John, I hope you're listening to me. Yeah. You know, I just, I respect you a hell of a lot. Couple of more slaps. And of course, this football club. John, are you listening to me? Yeah. John, well done. Well done. Hard luck. Smack, 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 yeah, smack. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe John Terry didn't actually just tell him where to go. Because it looked like the most annoying thing I'd, I'd seen happen on a football field in a I long time. He just, he was just felt such sadness at that moment. I mean, he, he is an emotional man, John Terry. We've seen his emotions many times. He wears them on his sleeve, Owen. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I saw the point being made that, no, I, no one's ever seen Terry cry when England got eliminated uh, from a tournament. Although he's done it many times when Chelsea have, um, when Chelsea get knocked out of the Champions League. His tears have become a kind of annual event, you know. 
Um, but I suppose that shows you how much he cares about Chelsea. But yeah, it was it was very nice of the Atletico players to uh, to reach out. To Thibaut him. Courtois didn't show how much he cares about Chelsea. Ken, he was busy jumping around with the Atletico players. I was quite taken by this because one of the angles pre-match was, "What if this gets to a penalty shootout? Yeah. Can Thibaut Courtois be counted on to try and save the shots?" Yeah. Which I thought was incredibly uh, quite possibly disparaging towards of course it was yeah. of course it was yeah I didn't quite understand the, well I understood but the angle they were going at there he's a Chelsea employee or whatever the case yeah. might be but clearly this guy has gone out to try and get to a Champions League final with the club he's playing for at the moment but I did find it interesting afterwards that he didn't hold back in his celebrations uh, nor should he whereas Fernando Torres did indulge in what has become the more than just a fad in football, the non-celebration celebration. Yeah, it was a classic of the genre by Torres. He scores his goal, puts uh, is about to celebrate. Usually, there's a split second where they have to remember they're not supposed to celebrate. Then he kind of puts the palms facing down towards the ground and moves the I'm arms. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I apologize for doing my job. Quite really well sorry, today. sorry. I had to do that. Uh, hurt me more than it hurt you. Um, and then praying when the penalty when Diego Costa was taking the penalty. Uh, who knows what for? Um, Torres is probably going to be going back to it let it go everybody seems to be saying um, he already was there for 12 years I think it's a bit different from Courtois given that Torres grew up supporting Atletico and playing for Atletico. Oh, yeah, I'm being a bit churlish here. It, it, it Courtois just, has never played for Chelsea. You know, he, the, they own him. The uh, non-celebration thing has just gone to extremes. Who, who was the player this year? Oh, was it Wes Hoolan? He scored a goal against Villa and didn't celebrate because it looked as though he might be joining them. Yeah. I'm almost certain it was Wes Hoolan. But was it's a, the same thing. It was it's a player who hadn't Torres. even joined the club. Yeah. But this guy had no connection to a club. He just might be joining them so he didn't celebrate. I'm pretty sure it was Hoolan around Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Hoolan. Um... I, I mean, he was also angry with Norwich. Maybe he just didn't. Maybe he really didn't want to score, or he he had he knew he had to score, but he it really gave him no pleasure. <laughs> All of the teams in the league are potential future employers. So I mean, if you don't, if you want to go around not offending anyone, yeah. this should signal the end of goal celebrations completely. Well, this is, Everyone just apologising yeah. to the to the other team, even though you may yeah. have you've no link in the past. But that's not to say they're not going to come future. in and try and sign you in the future. Oh God, Wolfie, down, down, boy, down. down. There's a good boy. Now let's talk about KBC Bank on. It's a bloody good bank, you know. If you were to choose Murphy, your favourite bank uh, account. Well, that the KBC regular saver yeah. account on. You mean you took the words right out of my mouth? That's right, Murphy. The help of KBC, we're offering one lucky listener the chance to win a cash prize, cold hard five hundred euros worth of cash. Mm, five hundred euro to spend on whatever you like or save. That's your financial prerogative, of course. But that's not all, Murphy, because with that money will come. Uh, well, I should say the money will come in a special limited edition second captain's P bezel mug along with a set of incredible darts. These darts have a little flag with the second captain's logo. I saw mm. them in. Threw a few of them at Ken's head yesterday. Mm. To the health and safety people, that was ju- I didn't actually throw any at Ken's Darts. Don't ask why. Ask why not. To enter the competition, just visit irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. And for more information, visit the KBC regular saver page on kbc.ie. Terms and conditions apply. And KBC Bank Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. It's time now for Ken Early's Report on Sport. Well, I think it's only fair on to begin by talking about Sergio Ramos. Yes, Sergio Ramos, the uh, Real Madrid... Uh, central defender yes. who, uh, let's face it, Owen, is something of a macho man. Uh, he does have certain macho tendencies. And I think that Tuesday night at the Allianz Arena was his finest macho hour. Uh, I don't think that anyone, well, Sir, I don't think Sergio Ramos or, in fact, anyone will ever be able to surpass his feats in the first 45 minutes of the game. I mean, it began pretty promisingly. 
uh, with Sergio Ramos I think, clearing a ball and running crazily out of uh, defence and unbalancing everything and then managing to get back and phew, everything was okay. He's thinking, okay, maybe it is going to be my night. Then there was an incident with Ribery and Carvajal over by the corner flag which Pepe ran to get involved in, and Mandzukic ran to get involved in. But who was there running to get involved? It was Sergio Ramos um, himself and Mario Mandzukic uh, squaring up to each other. And uh, I think Sergio Ramos managed, managed to puff his chest out a lot more than Mandzukic, who's naturally taller, maybe has a slightly bigger frame, but Ramos managed to puff himself up more. And I think he came out of that confrontation pretty well. So things are going well. He then scores one of those headers of incredible violence. You know, just the... Where he really, it's it's like he was running at the ball from 50 miles away. And Niall Quinn, boom. Boom, absolute boom. I mean, flying through the air um, and nuts the ball past the goalkeeper. And then 42 seconds of play later, it's actually like four minutes on the clock, but the ball's only in play for 42 seconds by the time his, his concrete forehead smashes through the ball a second time to, put it, to make it 2-0 and effectively finish the game. So Ramos pretty, feeling pretty pleased with himself. Then celebrates with an <laughs> incredible uh, lunge straight through Philippe Lam, taking the ball as well, but straight through Philippe Lam, sending him spinning into the air. Clearly a yellow card. You're going to miss the European Cup final. But it's your night, so the referee decides, okay, that's not going to be a yellow card. For some reason, booked Xabi Alonso for an accidental and comparatively innocuous foul a few minutes later. But for Sergio Ramos last night... I'd have said they were Tuesday both night, fairly certain yellow oh, cards. Oh, the Ramos... Well, I was going to say... I, I thought you were going to say that Alonso one was worse there. You? No, no. But I think they were both good, solid yellow cards. Can't yeah. complain about either of them. Yeah. And, and poor Alonso. As you note again, he... <laughs> he knew it as he was still sliding. He, he, was he actually seemed to. He was sliding, and you could you could see him already going, "Oh no!" Before he'd even committed the foul, he just knew, oh, "I can't." Oh no! You know, you're about to do something, and it's not quite right, but you've already committed to it in your head. Lay on the ground. He's out. And now, I mean, a big loss. Um, I, I, oh, sorry, I no, sorry. I've, I've, no, I've moved away from Sergio Ramos. More, more Ramos. Uh, uh, for those who aren't as regular listeners as some others, can yeah. I mean, we should say you're a bit of a. I don't want to say you're a Sergio Ramos hater, but I find that you do a lot of hating of he, Sergio Ramos. I find that he's uh, a man with a big heart, um, a very big, almost like a lion's heart, and that it sometimes pumps the blood around his body so furiously that his thoughts become a little scatty <laughs> and he and he does uh, he does crazy things uh, and gets himself sent off and oftentimes that results in his team losing and oftentimes he makes defensive mistakes but certainly against Bayern Munich that wasn't uh, it, it was just basically Ramos being Ramos to the nth degree mm. Crystal, in crystallised 45 minute form mm. um, I'm just glad actually that they did take him off when they did because there is no I mean, you know, you kind of say, oh, well, he got away with that one, so that's fine. Mm. You know, he's taken his chance there. Yeah. He'll definitely make the make the final now. Yeah. There is, it's every bit as likely before that ridiculous lunge on Philly Plam yeah. that he would do it again as likely that he would. He did throw in an amazing goal-saving tackle in the second half as well. Uh, was there was happy. also a great moment, sorry, I forgot to mention, when uh, Angel Di Maria was, uh, went down, I don't know that he was, Particularly injured, he went down in the in the, in his own half. I think it was Mandzukic who then came over. Mandzukic, Ramos's old enemy, um, who came over in an attempt to get Di Maria up and you know what do you do? Get up and Ramos 
like a mother tiger, you know, straight over. And actually, what he did was he planted his feet either side of Di Maria's prone body. <laughs> Di Maria lay on the ground squealing. And Ramos just planted his foot in the far side and stood over uh, Di Maria literally like a colossus and dared Manzukic to come and have a go. And obviously Manzukic just Di Maria, tail and you stay there. Away. You stay there. Take a good look at my nether regions. I'll handle this. <laughs> Basically, what Sergio Ramos was saying. It was, you know, Mark Lawrence had a uh, nice. Mark Lawrence had a nice line on TV three. Uh, it was that incident that resulted in Manzukic. The, the first incident you talked yeah. about there, which Pepe was involved in. Mm. Pepe was the, the, probably the second man to the scene. Yeah, and Mark Lawrence said, "Oh yeah, here comes Inspector Pepe." <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually good. He does does have inspector like tendencies. Yeah, kind of I mean, gets in and snoops around. Possibly going on. the the same kind of inspector as Denzel Washington in Training Day. <laughs> that type of <laughs> that type of inspector. Certainly, Marty Dubious inspector. I, I'm not sure. I mean, Pep, you know, Inspector Pepe, and Inspector the Pepe car has... late at night. You know, look, it's 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 real out there in the streets. He's you know decided I mean? who's to blame sure, before you've, you've got he arrives your, at the crime scene. You've got your police handbook. You know, you've got your rules of engagement and all that kind of thing. But then on the other hand, it's just you out there on the, on the main streets alone. You know, one man who, you know, a man who represents justice. But, you know, it's a mean world out there. Sometimes justice has to fight for the right to be heard. And what Sergio know? Ramos is your Ethan Hawke character who wants to be good, but is Sergio Ramos being dragged is, along is, into the murky real world of Denzel Washington. Has modeled his um, current look on Val Kilmer in Top Gun. That's his. That's apparently who he's trying to channel, um, but a very different personality from the renowned Iceman. I mean, pretty much the opposite of Iceman. Do, doesn't make any decisions with his brain. Makes every single decision with his uh, his gut, his gut, his blood, his heart, his eggs. All of those things come into the thought process. Everything apart from the brain, which he uh, which he leaves to one side. Your apology has been accepted on behalf of Sergio Ramos. Um, so um, where are we? That so Modric, okay, was was probably the player of the of the tie, I suppose, and they're going to be relying on him quite heavily um, in the final now against Atletico. Now that Alonso is is out, um, this is a, uh, an incredible triumph for Carlo Ancelotti, <clears throat> who has come a long way from the days of a pig can't coach, um, which was the message that greeted him when he arrived at the Juventus training ground for his first day at work uh, <laughs> and spray painted by the fans. A pig can't coach. And they would constantly uh, shout at him that he was a pig. Uh, this is the Juventus fan. So he said... Why the pig analogy? Because he's fat. Oh. Uh, a pig can't coach. Um, uh, Ancelotti would talk... Uh, Ancelotti's book is, is quite interesting. It's, you can't imagine Jose Mourinho or even Pep Guardiola writing such a book uh, in which he talks about how fat he is every couple of pages. He's a bit like Murph here, uh, talking about how his, his eating is out of control. He's always there, like, you know, having his second bowl of tortellini. And, uh, you know, he, he calls himself a blowfish, uh, a pig. He says he's got wooden legs. He kind of talks himself down a lot, you know? Um, he... he he talks about st- sometimes I stand uh, with my head t- looking at myself in the mirror, looking at um, with my head kind of craning around to look at my ass, uh, you know. And he he says the side of my fat butt cheeks is not that edifying a spectacle. Uh, this is yeah. not something I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Reader ever writing. No, no. 
Uh, and Jesse Mourinho has put on a few pounds in the last in the last few couple of years. Isn't he? I mean, if has you he, look at if you look at him in his in his first just, Chelsea just, no, period, I think he's just wearing tracksuits rather than suits. Maybe the, maybe there's a reason for that. Those elasticated waistbands that, no, he, that he goes no, for now. No, no, it might be more comfortable. He looks twenty five years if he, older. If he wants now. to look thinner, I think the suit is the way to go. Maybe this. A baggy you know, track those skinny suit suits can we, be. A we've, bit. All, we've all tried the tracksuit route, Ken. Comfort you, is okay, but it doesn't always. You remember when, when Real Madrid beat Man City in the Champions League three two? Ronaldo scored a goal in the last minute, and R- R- Mourinho ran onto the field and did a knee slide. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was going to bust his pants. I actually, before the Chelsea game started on telly last night, mm. I was watching Sky Sports 1, yeah. the Great Managers series. Mourinho has put on a lot of weight since yeah. well, his first time in That's Chelsea. the thing. It's when you look at the, the Chelsea and you think, how has this man managed to age a quarter century in, in eight years? That's the, uh, that's the effective football the management special at the highest one, level. The special one press conference to uh, now is what? That's nine years, ten yeah. years. I mean... There's he, a big difference. There is a very, very big difference. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions. I mean, the guys put on a few pounds. Well, you know, who you doesn't? Know? Who doesn't as they get older? Not Carlo Ancelotti. He's, yeah, I think he's our po- the, same the, the, the point about bringing up the waiter is that we're talking about personality types here, and Jose Mourinho does not have the kind of personality type who might be able to write self-deprecating, self-effacing, self-effacing uh, book about how fat he is. Now, we're not just talking about managers and how fat they no, are. No, that's my point. Is I was trying to move it back along to something <laughs> sem- resembling something sensible. Oh, they're fat managers. <laughs> Top five, <laughs> but, but it is, it's he's not quite. He's not just self-effacing either about his his. Uh, this is Ancelotti now about his physical appearance. Uh, he's also okay. For instance, remember we we spoke to Joe Schmidt on uh, Second Captain's Live a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that Joe Schmidt is not self-effacing, but remember we asked him at one point what was going through his head in the last few minutes of the game against France, when France had scored a try, which, okay, looked like a four-pass, but it was going to the TMO and no one knew whether try was, what was going to be awarded, what, what was going through his head, rather. And he said, well, I was just thinking, you know, if it's a try, what are we going to do? Essentially trying to come up with a plan for the worst-case scenario here, which is the tries awarded to France. So that's what he was thinking about. I thought, I, I thought that was pretty... I was surprised by that, you know, just the fact that he would oh, he, yeah. be thinking anything other than, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I can't believe they've just I got hope this, I hope this isn't given. It was definitely Ford. You know, something like that. Burning but I mean, that was definitely Ford. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. really That's not, what I would have been thinking. Not all that useful. Um, Ancelotti talking about the Champions League final in 2005. What was going through your mind when these goals were all going in? Uh, nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> I was just standing and staring, going, oh, my God, what's happening? But not even thinking that, just, oh, no. And he said, there's quite a good line in it how, you know, it's getting to, like, the last, where Shevchenko has this couple of shots and Dudek saves him. And Ancelotti is just thinking, oh, no, this is starting to look really bad. <laughs> Ancelotti is finally like, oh, no, this doesn't look good now. Oh, no. You know, I can't. Again, quite imagine these other managers sort of admitting to such abdication <laughs> of responsibility. Thoughts. Um, uh, you know, yeah, sure, I'm the coach, but I don't know what to do. Uh, but you know, it's re- it's really it's really worked out quite well, French. There's a bit in his book where he talks about there's two things that I should mention. One of them is people are he talks about Mourinho a few times in the book. Clearly, there's not much friendship there. I mean, he's mentioning him at one point. Uh, Mourinho was on TV. It was actually the day Ireland played Italy in Bari. 
Mourinho's on some TV show comparing himself to Jesus. You know, <laughs> he's like, yeah, this is what kind of way he is. But he says that people often ask me how I lost. How did we lose? Remember, he was when he was a Chelsea manager. Uh, Jose Mourinho's Inter beat Chelsea in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. How do we lose? And he said, well, details. It was just a matter of details. There isn't anything bigger. There's no bigger truth. It was just a couple of things went wrong for us in the game, and that's it. They won. And it's kind of an interesting one to keep in mind, just bearing in, bearing in mind the week that we've had, where these two extreme philosophies of football have both kind of come a cropper, both Pep Guardiola and his possession football, and Jose Mourinho and his anti yeah, possession. Yeah, Tiki Taka is dead. Um, defensive football is dead. Yeah, actually, maybe it's just Sergio Ramos got a really good header on that ball. You know, well, I tried to make this Garrett point Bale to you. Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo are quite good. I did try to make that point to you last week that maybe Chelsea beat Liverpool because Steven Gerrard fell over as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, but I mean, greater. you watched the Chelsea game last night. Okay, they let in three goals. Did they let in any goals like the Gerrard one? No. Every time they were playing the ball in midfield, um, the, the way that Gerrard was, say, for instance, it was David Luiz who was doing the job in the Chelsea team. But the two central defenders are standing 15 metres back. There's no chance of that same mistake happening. The point there is not... The point about the Chelsea Liverpool game, and I had a lot of people on Twitter saying this to me, "Oh, where you know, where is your god now?" kind of thing uh, when the Mourinho was was losing. Yeah. But the point is not that Chelsea were tactically brilliant, but that Liverpool were tactically poor. That they left themselves open in a match where they only needed a clean sheet. Yeah, but they played they they played the wrong style. But there can be a rush after one result to make broad statements, and, yeah. and, and the, the, an idea that. But, you know, Brendan Rodgers has overachieved this season, but yeah. it's almost because of the way it ended, it seems as though he's underachieved somehow. And Mourinho, okay, Mourinho hasn't overachieved this season. He's got a very wealthy yeah. owner. He's got the, he's got a very good squad. But everything he has done up to this point can't suddenly be completely wrong. It's similar with Pep Guardiola. He's marched to the German title. I, I don't think he's certainly a bad manager, as is almost being suggested. You know, no, of course no, he's, of course he's not. I mean, we, we have to talk about Guardiola now in a second. But the, here's a point that Ancelotti made, which I think is... He, he talks about when he was a Parma manager. He's, it's, it's funny, actually. There's a few times in the book where he's talking about great players he has. Like when Kaká arrives. You know, he's looking at Kaká going, what is this thing they bought from Brazil? He looks like a Jehovah's Witness from, some, from the Milanese industrial belt. He looks like a schoolboy. You know, does your, does your mother know that you're skipping school to come to play football? <laughs> is what Carlo Ancelotti says he was thinking. And then he sees him play and he's thinking, this guy's unbelievable. But he's already gone to the press and they've asked him, who is this guy? And he's like, oh, he's a great player. He reminds me of... Um, and then pretty much picks a Brazilian player at random, Cerezo. And uh, Kaká apparently said to him years, years later, I couldn't believe when you compared me to Cerezo. I was thinking, what is this guy on about? And I was like, I don't have a clue. You just talk nonsense in press conferences all the time. Um, but he's talking about at Parma, he has this team full of... Uh, it's like, it, the team's incredible. You look at It's like Turam, uh, Crespo... Uh, Veron, Chiesa, you know, all these amazing players who at the time were not, uh, you know, this kid, they want me to play this kid in goal. You know, he's a child, Gianluigi Buffon. I'm like, who is this guy? And then we see him in training. He's like, oh, actually, I've got quite a lot of good players in this team. This is going to be, you know, we could we could do quite well. Um, but he didn't sign, at one point, he's, he's offered the chance to sign Roberto Baggio. Baggio is saying, you know, I'll come and play for you, Parma. And he's saying, well... You would have to be rotated, Roberto. I mean, he knew Baggio because ba- he, he he was the assistant to Arigosaki in the in the World Cup in '94 and all that kind of thing. Um, and Baggio was saying, "No, you know, I've got." Um, Ancelotti basically said, "Look, I play four four two. You want to play 
behind two strikers. There's no position for that in my team. So I can play you as one of the two strikers, but you'll have to be you'll be in and out of the team. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm going to play you if I play you. And Badger said, no, no, I've got to play all, you know, I don't want to be sitting on the bench ever. I just got to, I just want to play. I don't care who it's for. I just want to play every week. And actually I said, well, sorry, but my system doesn't really, you know, really sorry, but you know how much I love you, you're a great player. And so Badger goes off to play for Brescia. And Ancelotti then says, you know, it's, it didn't take me too long to realize how dumb this was. You know, how could I not have looked at this and gone, all right, Badger wants to play for me. I can definitely fit him in. How do I do that? The question is, how do, I, how do I find a way to fit this player into my team? He's like, there's always a way for great and talented players to play together. And the coach's job is to work it out. Mm. That's, you're, you're the coach. You know, it's, so he said, I was way too inflexible. I was thinking, no, my, my, my system, that means I can't have Badger. What an idiot. This is what he's saying about himself. So he says, obviously, I wouldn't do that again. Um, quite different from the approach of, of Guardiola, you would have to say. Oh yeah, um, and this is where this is where things. I mean, I mean Guardiola. Again, it's almost annoying to read all this stuff. But oh, Guardiola found out. You know, won the league by like a record margin, or at a, at a record time yeah. rather in the season, record record early victory in the league. May win the cup because they're in the final of that. Knocked out in the Champions League semi final by a really good team. Doesn't mean that you know you're a fraud, but. But you do wonder if maybe he's the wrong manager for that particular team, because they had a really good team. They had a really good team that had won the that had got to two finals in a row, won the last final, won the treble last year, playing a kind of football which was very difficult for anyone to to, to cope with, playing to the strengths of the players that they had. And he's come in and he wants them to play something which we've seen work. It does work. And there's no doubt about it that it works if you play it, if it's played right. But maybe it's not the right style for those players. What were, what were they doing last year that was radically different? Because they weren't, they were never Borussia Dortmund in, in the sense of yeah. real classic counter-attacking, not a massive premium possession. I'm pretty sure at Bayern last year, I don't know the stats, but they, they would have held, they, they weren't a team that didn't put premium on having the ball. They had less possession. So they they played a lot more, they played more risky passes, um, you know, in, in, in trying to attack more quickly, yeah. trying to, you know, defending a little bit deeper, attacking space more quickly, giving the ball away more, but getting it back and then doing it again and taking more shots relative to the amount of time that they had the ball. Whereas now what they're trying to do is um, have the ball all the time and only take shots when you're in a really good position to do so. Um, I mean, the thing, the, the big thing about what, what the first thing Guardiola did when he arrived at Bayern was take Philippe Lam, a fullback who's been fullback for the national team and for Bayern for his entire career, and put him in midfield. Why did he do that? The reason that he did it was that the, 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 whole core, the whole key to playing the way that he plays is your three guys in midfield have to be able to pass the ball really quickly at whatever angle they need to pass it in no time. They have to do it so fast. And that's how you move the ball around quickly enough in the middle so that by the time it gets to where it's going to do damage, the whole defense has been pulled out of shape. You, you need those players to have really fast feet. Yeah. Lamb is the one with the fast feet. Look at Schweinsteiger. He's not, that, he's not like he's like Glenn Whelan compared to Xavi. You know what I mean? He's, 
He he is. He, Owen did a kind of. Well, I grimaced a little looked, bit. I looked skeptical strange, there. It's, it's, it's somewhat strange. But he's no. He's no. He's not in Javi's class or in Yesta's class. Not a chance. I mean, he's a decent player, but he's a very different type of player. Yeah, he's he, different. He's, he's closer to Javi than he is to Glenn Whelan. Standard wise, maybe, maybe, but he's as, he's as, he's as far. Not the things that Javi does really well. I mean, Schweinsteiger is, but almost nobody plays like Javi. Yeah, well, that's, Lam that's, is Lam is more the whole like thing, him. though, doesn't it? That he doesn't have a Javi, so yeah, why is yeah, he playing that system? Exactly. Whereas Ancelotti would come in, look at these, look at the Bayern players, and go, okay, I've got Robin, I've got Ribery, I've got you know Kroos, Miller, Mandzukic. These are all good players. What would be a good way for them to play together? As opposed to saying, right, this is the way I play. Who do I have? Hmm, who can fit into where I'm, I'm going to need someone in midfield with fast feet who can pass the ball around a lot and is tactically intelligent? What do you that'll think? Be, that'll be Philip Lamb. Take, take the right back away. He's, he's been a right back. So I'll put him in there. What do you think is the most important thing to Pep Guardiola then? Is it winning, is it winning tournaments, winning trophies? Or is it playing the Pep Guardiola way? Well, that's the, that's that's where you ask: Is it e, does ego come into it? Is he like? Is this all about oh Pep? Is he is he like, you know, he, he only wants to do things one way? But I think it's that he genuinely is convinced this is the best way to play. Yeah, I don't it's, think it's just a monument to his own ego. No, I don't I, think. Which is, I don't think so. Suggestion if that's all he's about, he no. does seem to think that this is the way you win matches. I think I think so. I think he's honest. I think I think he's genuine about that. Um, the if question you find is, a team playing that's won a, a treble the year before. Uh, and it the way, the style of play that they play is absolutely perfectly suited to them. Is it good management to come in and totally change that style of play? No, but the question is, I mean, given that that's always what Guardiola is going to do. No, I, 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 you say I don't think I don't think it is. I think if you have got a team that's really successful, keep doing what you're doing. This isn't. This was not the team in need of a revolution. But that's what always what Guardiola is going to bring. Mm. You know, so Bayern, the Bayern's directors, they're the ones who went yeah, for Guardiola. They're the ones they were like, who should be an- we want Guardiola. Yeah. So Guardiola's going to come in. This is what he's going to impose. But, but maybe Bayern were the team in the world least in need of that type of thing. Maybe it would be more suited to a team that wasn't, let's say, right at the very top, right at the very pinnacle. This is where it's going to create a bit of a problem for Guardiola now. Because he's obviously going to keep doing what he's doing. That's his... You know, you know. I mean, there's there's no way that he's he's going to change because this is what he believes in, and he knows that it will work if he gets the right players. But in order to get the right players, he's going to have to move out a lot of the wrong players. Only the wrong players in this case are multiple national champions, European champions, uh, legendary players for their international teams, powerful men. Yeah, it's not a question of just turfing out unwanted dross. You're talking about you're talking about some seriously big players who maybe Guardiola's going to want to move out and that's politically going to be quite difficult. Yeah it is and there is also this issue of a manager needing to inject his own personality into the team and that Bayern Munich it just doesn't look like a Pep Guardiola team just yet and I'm not always convinced by the idea that a, a team is the embodiment of their manager or whatever it could be. It does seem in Atletico Madrid's case that that <laughs> maybe they are. What you see out there does seem to be you seem to see a lot of Diego Simeone in that team. We're going to have to wrap up Kennedy's report on sport. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat, and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want... No, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-51-5253 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. 
KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Miguel Delaney joins us to talk, Miguel, about the, um, well, the performance, first of all, by Atletico Madrid, which is absolutely incredible. We just mentioned the idea that sometimes a manager has to, that a team can embody what a manager is all about, that his personality can be seen through the way his team plays football. I'm not sure if that is always the case, but uh, it does seem that with regard to Atletico Madrid, it's probably true that that team does seem to contain a lot of what Diego Simeone is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And even, I mean, in the most basic terms, I saw a quote from him there the other day in which he was talking about, um, you know, he, he was asked about the whole notion of Atletico being, I mean, when you consider where, where they were when he took over and the financial state of the club, and really because it was a club with a lot of trouble, but he had the line, um, we, we can envy other teams their finances, but we don't envy anyone their fighting spirit. Because that's pretty much what they've got. I mean, even talking to a few people um, over from Spain for the game on the eve at the press conference, and like w- one line that was put to me was um, basically, Simeone has the connection with his team that Mourinho used to have. Um, now, I don't, well, I don't know whether that says that about Mourinho and Chelsea now. You can, you can certainly see it mm. with, uh, with Simeone. There's just that kind of really fresh intensity about it. And I mean, and, he, and even though it does sound kind of vague and cliched, you, you, like, I mean, you can properly see that they're fighting for him. They're kind of, they are so much greater than the, than the sum of their parts. I mean, if you look at the career of so many of those players, they all kind of been um, either cast-offs, not, not fully made the most of their talent. A few of them pa- supposedly passed their best, like David Villa. I mean, when you consider now, like, that <laughs> he was kind of perceived to be finished as a top-class player after leaving Barca. But yeah, I mean, all of that, it's just, it's, you know, the only yeah. word for it really is alchemy. It's incredible. And uh, you were at the game, Miguel, certainly on TV, everything you talk about came across very clearly on TV in terms of the intensity, I think is probably the best word yeah. to use for it. Was that noticeable at the game? You know, you see a lot of football, but was it noticeable? This is a team who are actually loving this, not just loving the challenge, but loving the, the type of opposition they're up against here yeah. who want to mix it with them. Absolutely. I think... The, I, Another, way, another word for it is almost application. I mean, you always think about when you, when you see when players are really on it. Like, to a degree, it, it happened with Chelsea against Liverpool on Sunday. You see, in every single challenge they were going into, it wasn't just kind of get, a case of getting a touch. It was that they're kind of this 100% focus to, not, to come away with the ball, to actually do something with the ball. And even go, going back to an Irish game, I, I thought it was something we saw in the Irish players in Paris in 2009. Just when a team seems to be at, playing at that level, but with Atletico, it seems to be that they're at that level so consistently. And they were certainly on it last night. Just, I mean, every they basically did everything better than the Chelsea players. Mm. Yeah, they actually remind me, somewhat depressingly, of the Valencia team that got to the final of the Champions League in 2000, only to be absolutely destroyed by Real Madrid in the final. Do you think that Atletico can do a little bit better than that uh, Valencia team, actually turn up uh, on the big day when it really counts? Well, it is the fear, isn't it? Um and I couldn't help thinking about it last night. I mean, even after Simeone's press conference, when he had you know, and he had such a, that great line at the end about having the huevos to uh, to get this far, uh, and it's almost, it'd almost be too perfect a story for kind of for Atletico to do everything to win the league and the Champions League. And you do sense that kind of Real will be saving it, but at the same time, I mean, you know, okay, we mightn't have said this back in two thousand, considering where Hector Cooper was a manager then, but. Uh, I do think there's something more about Simeone. Uh, they do have a, a good big game record going back to when they completely frustrated uh, 
Real in the in the Copa del Rey final last year. I suppose there was a lot a lot else going on in that game with Mourinho, and also to be fair with the amount of chances Real missed. But I think Atletico have escalated since then. Um, I think it'll be a pretty even game, but you, you, it is just difficult to shake the sense. Maybe it's just because of the historical status of the teams, because of the players we see. It's it's hard to shake that uh, that Real will have a little bit too much. But then I suppose Simeone has overturned expectations all season. Yeah, he really has, and in the manner in which he's done it is interesting because when you get these sort of fiery players who become managers, there are a couple of ways it can go. Roy Keane, one thing that struck everybody in his early managerial days, and I think he probably stuck to this even with Ipswich, is how stoic he seemed on the sideline. There was no people were expecting him to be almost frothing at the mouth or something, uh, which was obviously ridiculous. But behind the scenes, then of course stories start leaking out about him being confrontational and and losing it and this kind of thing. Whereas I don't know, but is it the opposite with Simeone in that you look at him on the sideline and he's just perpetual motion, going nuts half the time. Do we know any stories from behind the scenes about how he actually deals with the players? Is he a calm, methodical kind of coach? Well, I don't think. I think it's it's all about with him. With um, I mean, I was I, I was talking to a fair few people about two weeks. ago. I, I did a piece in the, for the Independent on Sunday about how Rogers and Simeone are two coaches, basically defying modern football economic realities in that sense. And from talking to kind of players or people connected to the players, from talking even to the likes of Radiantic, who's worked with him as a player, um, the the one word that kept coming up was. One word that kept coming back was phrase. balls. Well, oh, no. apart, apart from that, All this right. basically militaristic, regimented organization mm. that everything in the training ground is just so so. so, so he basically demands more out of squads than, uh, than, than, than I suppose mo- most managers. But it comes off, and it was put to me though that it might be one reason why initially at a bigger club, or maybe not necessarily a bigger club, but a club with more uh, higher profile players. They it would take them longer to take to it because I mean I suppose you know they're stars. Whereas because of the certain group he's got, they're more willing to buy into this. That 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 could potentially be an issue. But then again, I mean, what what is a lot a lot of management? It's about you know having the charisma to get people to follow your uh, follow what you say. And I think he's undeniably got that. Yeah, I mean, some of it is culturally specific. I think I don't know how well, for instance, Jurgen Klopp's. Um, frequent talk about heavy metal would work yeah. in in England where maybe people just aren't really that into heavy metal anymore. Where, where Joe, Joe Hart wouldn't have the same affinity with the Scorpions, maybe. Yeah, similarly, <laughs> Diego Simeone goes around. I'm just looking at a couple of photos of him here, Miguel, several years apart. When he's wearing, he's playing for Lazio, he's grabbing <laughs> yeah. his balls. Uh, here he is on the sideline in his Atletico Madrid uh, manager suit, jacket, combo. Sorry, is there, is there he's a grabbing his balls. The... <laughs> no, it's just Diego Simeone. Pictures of Diego Simeone grabbing his balls in, in public. <laughs> it, it, in order to... Um, to to portray, yeah, you know, that was a good result. <laughs> that seems to be what what he's saying. But yeah. you know, is it would this style of management? Um, do, do you need the the uh, the sort of torrid machismo of a of a Latin dressing room for uh, for this style of management to flourish? I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a fair question, and you'd wonder that if, if he was to take over, say, an English team, and his English isn't good. And even if he needed a translator, a if he tried to say portray a lot of that in English as he was learning it, it mightn't come across in the same way. And b you're gonna get something's gonna get lost. It's not necessarily in the words, but in the tone. If you have to go through a translator, so yeah, even beyond as you say the, the cultural aspect, there, there are other reasons why it mightn't have the same effect on a, on an English dressing room. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. It's I think he just had, he has that way of almost portraying himself that uh, I think players look up to. Yeah, look, I'm from a different culture. I know exactly what he means. Yeah, uh, when I see that picture of Diego Simeone doing that, I don't need a translator for no, that. I understand what he's saying, you know. So maybe it maybe it would uh, cross uh, cultures. You know, I mean, Jose Mourinho. We haven't really spoken about him, Miguel. Maybe that's just what he wants us to do. Um, oh, yeah. Today, on a day like this, um, when he's looking at his first ever second trophy this season in a row, uh, yeah, it makes he, any sense. He he he's such a such a humble and Gracious little man, isn't he? After last night's uh, press conference, what a what a lovely man he is in defeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very. Um, it reminded me of some kind of um, F- Ferguson would often do that, especially after European defeats. It's it, and it, it really only tends to happen after European defeats with Mourinho. I think that uh, you know he just accept when it, when it comes to an elimination, he kind of accepts. It, he tries to, and I think it probably is an attempt to deflect uh, attention in another way. And it was, it was an interesting scene as I which kind of summed up the game almost, the way Atletico had come and completely taken command. As Mourinho was talking, all we could hear in the press room was just this kind of loud music coming from the Atletico dressing room, which was right beside. But even early on in the game, I think it was, quite, it was a little bit odd. I did, I did notice it when it was nil all. Because there was so many press there last night, a lot of the seats were shifted around. So my desk was only about four rows back from the Atletico bench. So you could see the two managers very closely. And while, as you say, Simeone was jumping around so much, gesticulating all the time, almost trying to, you know, have an influence on the game through his own energy and getting players to kind of follow that, Mourinho was kind of just, you know, hands in his pockets, you know, dawdling around the technical zone. At one stage, he looked back and looked into the stand and winked at someone. Now, I know his son was there, so it could have been that. But it was even, you know, and then after doing that, he kind of just kicked a little bit of rubbish away. Yeah, it was just all. Well, has he explained why he's wearing that silly soccer mom outfit yet? Why? Why did he change that? Because he, he, I mean, he usually looks smart enough, and here he is. I mean, considering how obsessed he is with image and the manipulation of message, there must be some message in this. But I just can't work out what it is. Jose Mourinho can't be bothered to make the effort to dress appropriately for work anymore. Is that the message? Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I, I think. Even it is connected to this whole idea, as we said at the top, of intensity. I mean, I don't want to say Mourinho is yesterday's man right in the sword. I would ne- you just wouldn't back against him coming back even stronger. But I do wonder whether there is some issue. And essentially, Simeone is just—he's got this—he's just a fresher manager who, who right now wants it more. And that came across in his team. It comes across in how he portrays himself, especially in contrast to Mourinho. Well, I mean, you say you don't—you you don't back against the idea of him. Of him coming back, but is it going to be at Chelsea? Because previously he hasn't been able to handle uh, defeat. You know, failure is something that he hasn't really uh, been able to handle. There's always been <clears throat> there's always been some kind of a a reason why things went wrong. Other people have to be blamed. You know, fights get started and sometimes get out of control. Uh, I mean, do you think he's he's going to be actually sticking around? At Chelsea in the long term, I know he's got yeah. a, he's got a contract for for another couple of years, but you know this season has 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 gone pretty flat. Well, from the way he's been talking since quite early on, although of course that could just be a pointed message to Abramovich, but from the way he's been talking, I do think um, he will stick around for season, and I I actually do think Chelsea will kick on next year. They'll they'll no doubt bring in a striker and maybe another forward. Maddox will be playing right through the season. They'll have had an extra year under him, so I think I think they will maybe step it up a level. But I mean, I suppose it is interesting in that context. If you look in the, in, in the throughout the history of Mourinho's career, he's never really had to bounce back. You know, he left Porto after success. 
left Chelsea once they were deposed as champions, albeit a month into the next season, left Inter after success, and then Real kind of ended in chaos. Now, I suppose you could argue that he, uh, he bounced back from the first season, but if we are to believe all the details of Diego Torres' book, there was a lot going on at the time that pointed to, uh, to what was coming down the line. So it's quite interesting. Also, he's, ne- he's never quite started, had a first season at a, at a place since taking over Porto. He's never had a first season that has been without a trophy like this. I mean, he, even Madrid, the Madrid first season ended with, uh, with the, the Copa del Rey. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a different, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's certainly a different challenge for him. And I, and I think there is an argument that he needs to maybe look at elements of, his, uh, of how he sets up a, sets up a team. I mean, we've spoken to it a bit, a bit over the past few days that this whole idea of being so reliant on a cast iron defence. Now, well, that's obviously one of the fundamentals of football. You would think, given the famed sophistication of Mourinho as a coach and given the sophistication of his coaching sessions, that there should maybe be a bit more going forward. Yeah, probably should be, Miguel. We'll have to leave it there. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks, lads. Just to go back to one of the points that Miguel made earlier on there, Ken, that mm-hmm. is the intensity that Atletico Madrid play with almost every week. The, an interesting comparison made there was with Ireland in Paris uh, in that World Cup qualifier. That was a an example of a team I don't want to say use the word possessed but they, there was something about them that night you had guys like Liam Lawrence mm. otherwise a journeyman enough kind of a player yeah. looking like absolute world class superstar he's incredible that night Every, it's not too surprising to see Damien Duff and Robbie Keane playing to that level because they have done so sporadically maybe through their career but they've shown that they're, they can be at that level but every single player just seemed so intense and almost they seem to be carried along on something and there was a bit of that about Atletico last night but the point that Miguel makes is that to do that every week is, um, yeah. is is the achievement well this is a phenomenal thing really the level of fitness that they have for one thing I mean Chelsea even though I mean Reno was going on about how he was going to rest players and prioritise the um, semi-final they, they looked tired by comparison they didn't they looked spent you know and Atletico who've been um, involved in this really competitive league title race all season it just seems to have limitless energy. I mean, it's <laughs> miraculous. Uh, I suppose. What, what? What? I suppose they're similar in a way to Dortmund, who got to the final last year, who had some similar characteristics in terms of the energy that they have on the field. You know, uh, Dortmund haven't been able to to maintain it. I yeah. don't know whether I, I'm sure Atletico can't maintain it either. But it does show maybe a kind of a third way then, um, between these extremes of possession and anti-possession there's also a place in football for running around pretty fast that's that will all that can also take people take places Gabriele Mercotti joins us now to talk Gabriele about Pep Guardiola Jose Mourinho these kind of characters have been talked about as the best managers in the world in the last number of years but has the best coach actually been under our noses all along is Carlo Ancelotti the well, maybe the most underrated coach in the world um, well it's it's a fair question I, I was struck by uh, Earlier this year, my, my good friend uh, Simon Cooper, the author of Football Against the Enemy, uh, he went and he did a piece with uh, with Ancelotti for the Financial Times, where obviously he's speaking to a very uh, sort of generalist audience, not necessarily football fans. And, you know, he explained that uh, Ancelotti had a good track record, though he's generally not held in the same regard as uh, as Jose Mourinho or, I thought rather bizarrely, Arsene Wenger. Um, and that got me thinking about, you know, why that was. And, and I think it's because these other managers that, that you talked about, 
um, you know, Wenger, Guardiola, Mourinho, they're all very easy to to identify. You know, they're, they're all sort of um, brands, you know. Uh, obviously, Wenger and, and, and Pep Guardiola have a very distinct way of playing. Um, Mourinho, perhaps, uh, you know, less so in the sense that he's more of a pragmatist. But, uh, again, Mourinho is a brand in, in other ways with his... Uh, um, you know, with with his image and uh, and 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 then sort of uh, you know communicative uh, abilities or mediatic uh, abilities, as they used to say in Spain. Um, and obviously, Ancelotti doesn't doesn't fit that. You know, he's not um, he doesn't have that side to him. Um, he's somebody whose playing style has certainly um, evolved over the years, and and will also evolve in the course of a um, you know of, of a single game. I mean, he. You know, he, he is fundamentally um, uh, an attacking manager who, who believes in having talented players um, on the pitch. But um, he also knows that, you know, when you take on a certain type of team with a certain type of style, um, you know, you're best served by uh, working with your players and getting them to tweak that style, as obviously he did uh, against uh, Bayern Munich over the two legs. So I think he, in that sense, he becomes a little bit um, harder uh, to define. Um, and I also think in terms of, you know, his status in the in the Anglo world, yeah, obviously Wenger, Ferguson, Mourinho, you know, all those guys are here, have been here for, for a while. Guardiola's obviously won two European Cups in the last six years, which Ancelotti has not done. And I think... All these things come um, sort of come together. Yeah. Uh, couple that with his low key, you know, somewhat more low key, laid back, uh, diplomatic personality, and uh, and yeah, and you have somebody who who generally doesn't go around tooting his own horn. Yeah, that's a pro- that's the problem, isn't it, with Carlo Ancelotti? He's never quite worked that out. Um, there's a bit in that in that Diego Torres book about Jose Mourinho, where uh, Mourinho was being interviewed on CNN, I think. This this would be 20... Is it maybe when he's come back to Chelsea? It's, it's quite late in his career, anyway. He's got all his achievements. And he starts listing out his achievements. Oh, I've won this, I've won that, I'm the greatest. And the guy actually says to him, Jose, why does somebody like you, who has become world famous um, and has all these achievements that everybody already knows about, feel the need to continually keep telling me stuff that I already know about, the stuff that you've, that you've achieved? And Mourinho says... Because people forget, and it seems like Ancelotti, uh, you know, when, when you when you look at his statements, all he's doing is talking about how well his players played and how grateful he is to his chairman, and he's not telling us, uh, "I am a genius uh, enough," or in fact, hardly at all. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, you know, you, you can go through his record. This is going to be his his fourth um, Champions League or European Cup final. Um, I don't think anybody um, has more than four uh, as a manager. Um, he's he's obviously, uh, you know, people point to the fact, oh, but, you know, he didn't win that many league titles. Well, you know, he's he won one with, uh, with Chelsea in two years, um, scoring a record number of goals. He actually did the double that year. He obviously won it at Paris Saint-Germain, and fair enough. You could argue that, you know, just about anybody could. Uh, with with the kind of team that they had, um, he only won the one at AC Milan uh, while reaching three Champions League finals in that time, and that prompted a lot of people to come out and say, "Oh, well, that means he's not that good because the real measure is a league." But I think throughout his career, if you count the two seasons at Juventus when he finished second, 
I think he finished runner up something like five or six times, um, which, which I think to me says that he's always there or thereabouts. And if I wanted to be a little bit um, unkind or uncharitable, well, I might also point out that, um, you know, the bulk of his career in Italy, um, uh, certainly at AC Milan, uh, occurred either during the, the two years of, of Calciopoli or, or immediately before that. Um, and I think that would probably also skew some of the results too. So um, yeah, if there's any issue that he's an exceptional manager. Um, but when people often think of him, and I think this is one of his big strengths and why he keeps getting big jobs is he's not the kind of manager who goes in and makes demands on the club and makes it about himself. He is above all a diplomat. That's why he was signed at Chelsea because he could mediate between you know, Abramovich and Mike Lemonalo and Avram Grant and all these people sort of, you know, circling and gravitating around the club without going out and saying, you know, we need to go and spend 200 million here or there. Um, same thing at Real Madrid, you know, after Mourinho, they wanted to go with somebody who was generally well-liked, who was not polarizing. Um, and of course, his masterpiece, I think, came over the years at, at AC Milan, where he was able to to negotiate all the quote-unquote um help and advice he was getting from upstairs. Yeah, Jose Mourinho, I guess, is the polar opposite in a lot of the respects you talk about there. Somebody maybe, I don't know how you classify Pep Guardiola, he's not demanding in the way necessarily that Mourinho is, and he certainly seems like a more, a guy you could work with slightly easier if you were in charge of a club, but at the same time, he does want to do things his way, and maybe he is just in a, in a different form, a sort of, maybe he does have a dictatorial approach. Um, the, I think Bill called it a disgrace, the Guardiola's failure to even mount a challenge really against Real Madrid over two legs. Um, was it a disgrace? Um, I, I I wrote a piece about this. Uh, it's up on ESPN FC where I think, well, first and foremost, you know, it's not the system. It's not possession football that failed. And Guardiola came out and said, like, you know, I believe in this. Um, we just implemented it very badly. Um, and I think he has to bear a lot of the responsibility for some of the personnel decisions uh, that he made on the night, like leaving out Javi Martinez. Um, I think there's issues as well in terms of physical preparation. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be peaking around this time of year. Um, that's one thing that uh, Carlo Ancelotti is very big on, uh, for example, is just setting up a physical training regimen so that um, your team generally peaks in, in October, November, um, and then again sort of mid-April, May, um, with, with, a, with a dip in sort of January, February. And, and if you look, his teams have always kind of dipped in that, in that you know, physically in, in that period. Um, and that was with an eye towards the Champions League. Uh, you know, I think that is obviously part, that's something you, you can put on Guardiola and his staff too. I, I am tempted to give Pep a, a slight pass and mitigate it, um, because of something that's uncomfortable to talk about, but which, you know, is very real and did happen. And we don't know how it affected him, but obviously, you know, people seem to forget that his, you know, one of his very best friends and his longtime companion, um, and assistant Tito Villanova, of course, passed away, um, on, on, on Friday, four or five days before the game. Um, everybody grieves in their own way and, you know, they're all professionals, but I think that, you know, could have affected matters, uh, as well. But uh, to go back to your original question, there's, there's no, you know, I don't think there's any question that Pep is more um, of an ideologue. Um, but I also 
don't don't think it's right to paint him as some kind of you know Ayatollah. Of, There's only one way to play. Um, if you look at Barcelona, even in sort of year three, year four of his reign, he was changing things. You know, he the team didn't have that you know breakneck pressing that they had in the early years. Um, he experimented with three man defenses, um, and even Ancelotti will tell you that early in his career. Um, at, at Parma, for example, he was very much a Saki man who, um, who who played Saki type football to the letter uh, with a four four two and the pressing and stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, later on, he he evolved as well. And you know, it's still relatively early in, in Guardiola's career. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it does. It is an interesting uh, counterpoint, though. <clears throat> Himself and Ancelotti, the, the differing approaches. I mean, Ancelotti will come in, look at the squad he has, and figure out, okay. What's the best way for us to play with the players that I've got? Whereas with Guardiola, it seems to be more the opposite. He says, okay, well, I know the way we want to play. This is the best way to play. Now can I get these players to play? And if not, am I going to have to stand a, start sounding a bit like David Moyes and start talking about a fundamental restructuring of this of this squad? Sure, it's won a few titles, but maybe um, that's exactly the reason why why some of these players need to be moved on and new ones brought in. Is is that the situation Guardiola's in now? If he's not going to go, because you imagine the club hierarchy there having having um, uh, backed him and gone to such lengths to bring him in, uh, must now at least follow through, and, and maybe he does need to to reshape that squad quite quite a lot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned Guardiola there. I mean, you could make the same point uh, about Mourinho, you know, mm-hmm. um, deciding, well, you know, the Chelsea's player of the year the last two seasons, Juan Mata, doesn't fit what I want to do. And um, so I want to get rid of him. And if they don't get rid of him, then they just won't play him. You know, same thing with, with David Luiz. Um, I, I think the difference with with Pep is, I mean, I would give Bayer enough credit to for them to understand that they had a different group of players that weren't ideally suited to this game. Um, and that people like Frank Ribery and Arjen Robin and, and Bastian Schweinsteiger, you know, they're all at 30 or close to 30. And there, there's going to be a natural attrition and a natural turnover um, to the squad and to these players. Um, and I think that's actually one thing that's been overlooked about Pep is that he's also somebody who's very respectful of hierarchy and experience. I mean, you only have to see how he kept playing Carlos Puyol, like, you know, when the guy was unfit and well into his, his mid thirties, um, you know, he could have gone in and said, look, this is great. Robin and Ribery, great players, but you know, these guys don't fit what I want to do. Let's get rid of them. Um, or let's ease them out. Um, but he didn't do that. You know, they, they, they picked up Goetze, who does fit what he wants to do, but you know, Goetze, partly due to injury, um, didn't really play too huge a part this year. He tried to make it work with Robin and Ribery out of respect for the fact that, you know, these were the men who delivered the trouble last year. Um, but there isn't, you know, it's not much of a question. I think that, that he he paid a price for that. Um, and 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 I think, you know, they'll be taking that into advisement going going forward. Yeah. Gabrielli Britain stuff, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, that the dilemma now, it's something you've touched on already with regards to Bayern Munich, is just what sort of resistance Guardiola might face if he does start going down this route of uh, there are a lot of we know about all the powerful figures who are involved in the team there, but I mean they have to accept that this is what we brought in. Yeah. Um, so if we want the Pep Guardiola effect, then we have to give him time. And I, I, people might be saying, well, David Moyes, none of us are advocating him being given time, but 
there were no as Richie said there was no one sign at any point of him being a good manager yeah. whereas Pep Guardiola has walked his team to a league title so yeah. whereas that's not that's the very minimum requirement at least he achieved that minimum requirement which should give him the breathing space of another year I would imagine they could win the league again next year but if they failed like this again in the Champions League he yeah. would be finished Oh I think so yeah I mean that just goes to show you know you win the league and then you win the league the following season it means almost nothing you know, th- this is the problem that Guardiola is always going to have following this a treble winning season. Um, he, they really needed to, they, the Champions League was all they cared about. It's a bit like Manchester United, you know, in, in 2000, when they, they got um, done by Real Madrid as well. Um, they, were, they were losing 3-0 at one point. And they were in the, it was, okay, they managed to get a couple of goals back in that game. But otherwise, it was a carbon copy almost of the situation. They won the league really early that year by miles. Uh, nobody could touch them, and then and it all came down to that um, game against Real Madrid, and it was such a disappointing season for them. After that defeat, I mean, obviously they decided not to dispense with the services of the manager who <laughs> taken might have been a little harsh to that point. But you know, the the problem is if if you've got a culture that already works, if you've if you've already been to the top, arguably, you know, they beat Barcelona seven nil on the way. Maybe their way was the best way, and there's going to be no shortage of people. No shortage of people in Munich thinking, uh, oh, yeah. we knew the waited away. And this guy comes in with his turtleneck and his... Maybe you're onto something. Maybe the guys at the top of Bayern Munich, we're talking about Franz Beckenbauer, Rummenig, these mm. kind of characters. Maybe they, to convince the world of their knowledge and their power, they've, mm. deliber- they've brought in this charlatan Pep Guardiola yeah. to expose his methods yeah. for what they really are. They'll, they know he's good enough that he'll keep them ticking over league-wise. Then they'll bomb him out of there, bring in one of their own guys. Bring in a, a, a Bayern Munich man who lives and breathes Bayern Munich. Oh, well, they've tried that, though. It didn't work out too well with Klinsmann and maybe one or two. Oh, he wasn't really a proper Bayern no, he Munich. He was a Swabian. He wasn't a proper Münchener. Yeah. Maybe uh, Philip Lamb or something like that. You know, he, oh, yeah. he might be ready to be your, your Ryan Giggs figure in this yeah. little scenario. All right, we're just about out of time, but do have a listen to the first show we put out today. We talked extensively to US Murph about Donald Sterling, the LA Clippers owner in the NBA. He's been banned for life and is being forced to sell his team, although I think he's already um, fighting that one. And he's got the, he's got the, he hasn't spoken much since this the whole thing is broken, but he's, he's lawyering himself up as we speak. He's pressed a button under his desk and uh, <laughs> the bookcase has, has uh, lifted up to reveal yeah. 25 lawyers. All right, do have a listen to <laughs> US Murph on that one. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Chat to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.